0: You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I'm joined this week by Tom McCullough, who is the CEO of uh, Northwood Family Office based in Canada. But we are currently sat in a um, hotel room in London um, ahead of a book launch, which we're very excited about um, this evening. And the topic of today's conversation will be Tom's book, which is called Wealth of Wisdom. We'll get into um, what's in the book during the show. But firstly, Tom, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Um, As I do on every episode of the podcast, I ask our guests to introduce themselves, provide a bit of background, um, and kind of tell us how you came to be doing what you're doing now. Happy to do that. Um, Well, I have... uh,
1: been running a family office for 16 years now. Uh, it's a multi-family office, and I'll tell you in a minute what that is in case you don't know. But uh, I started many years before that, 20 years before, as a um, working at an investment firm, and um, had a great career there. Terrific uh, firm, and it was ended up being bought by a bank. But at some point, I thought, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was sort of in the back of my mind and I'd been a corporate guy all my life and thought, you know,'d it be great to be an entrepreneur at some point. At the same time, my family was looking for what I would now call a family office, somebody who could help the family manage wealth and assets, real estate assets mostly, and, but didn't sell something and wasn't um, you know, had knowledge beyond uh, just investing and um, and I found it hard to find somebody like that mm-hmm. and uh, so that made me start to think you know where do you find one of those and maybe I should do it they say the best entrepreneurs are frustrated consumers yeah and I was a frustrated consumer so and was thinking about some kind of entrepreneurial experience and so I decided to do it and um, it's a very long story how that how it all turned out it took quite a while to actually happen because uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs, you have the passion and the idea, but maybe not the full business plan. Yeah. So that took a little while to happen, but it did in 2003. And uh, so we started a family office, and we look after um, a small group of wealthy families—about uh, 50 of them—and um, they're typically sort of 10 million to three or four hundred million in mm-hmm. family net worth. And we do four things for them, essentially. We do uh, planning work, so goal setting and tax and estate and structure and philanthropy and that kind of thing. Uh, We do investment management. Uh, We don't manage any money ourselves, but we do the investment policy Mm -hmm. and asset mix and find the managers and evaluate them and so on. And uh, third is reporting and administration, so keeping the trains running on time and uh, doing consolidated reporting. And the fourth area is family, so that's the what's typically called the soft skills and it's yep. family dynamics and governance and relationship and translation from one spouse to the other or yep. generation to the other. And, um, we've got about, uh, just under 20 staff and,
0: um, it's a, it's a great firm. I, I wake up every morning feeling good about what we do for people. So that's a good way to live. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And, uh, I like the way you said that, um, you just did it with the uh, um, setting up the family office <laughs> because it's, um, as you mentioned, it's a I imagine it's a very long process to then take that from saying "I'm going to do that" to then actually it becoming something that is is real and, and operating. Yeah, it it took a long time. Um,
1: it uh, it probably took five or six years before we knew it was going to work. Uh-huh. Um, uh, well, when I say work, I mean be sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it worked for, for clients right away, but can you make it a good sustainable business? And yeah. probably it was probably five or six years into it. And we're now 16 years into okay. it. So we're, we're, uh, <laughs> things are good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in fact, family offices are, are not, a, um, are, are, are emerging in Canada. It's not a massive, you know, industry, if you can mm-hmm. call it that. So we've been leaders in actually creating, uh, the, um, the education, I'll say, to to families yeah. about what a family office is. People used to say to me years ago, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm involved in the family office. And they said, oh, is that like birth control and family counseling? <laughs> and I said, well, not really. Um, that's but, extra. Yeah, that's extra. <laughs> it's a lot of money extra. And uh, But basically, people don't ask that anymore. More and more people know. Yeah. And, and they might even find us online and mm-hmm. say, we just sold our business for $40 million, and um, I was Googling wealth management and family office, and I found you. Can I come and talk to you? Mm-hmm. That would never have happened five or ten years yeah. ago. It happens all the time
0: now. And hence your difficulty in finding one 16 years ago right. and the reason for doing it yourself. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. So there are more now. Still not very many, but more. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, we've got an episode coming up where we're going to explain a lot more about what a family oh, great. office is. Good. won't um, be much use to you because you know. But um, for our <laughs> audience who are intrigued right. by it, then um, uh, that one's coming up soon.
1: But just by the way, on, on our website, which is northwoodfamilyoffice.com, there's a three-minute animated video that I had made about what is a family office. Oh, so brilliant. if anybody's interested in uh, you know, in a three-minute version yeah. of, of what a family office is, we take an example of a family we call the Spencers. Uh-huh. It's it's fictional, but it's pretty true to life. Yeah. It's sort of an amalgam of clients, but it's a great uh, little tool for understanding brilliant.
0: what the okay. role of a family office is. And we'll is. link the website in the show sure. notes so people sure. can go and, um, and find that as well. Um now, we're here today to talk about, um, amongst other things, your book um, that you've authored. It's called Wealth of Wisdom, which covers the top 50 questions that wealthy families ask. Um, it's also um, backed up by a podcast series as well called Wealth of Wisdom, which is a fantastic idea. It's one I'm very jealous of and wish I'd come up with um, myself. Um, but talk us through that the process of coming up with the idea and what motivated you to do it and how did you go about kind of putting it into practice. Right. So, um, I wrote, uh,
1: another book about five years ago called family wealth management. So uh, co uh, with a fellow named Mark Danielle. And, um, and it was, um, it was a positive experience. And so I had in the back of my mind, maybe I would do another one at some point. And, uh, and then, you know, over the years working with families, you kind of realize that People, the, the questions that people ask are, are similar. There's yeah. common questions. You know, it's not every once in a while you get one out of the blue, but often, you know, it's this same kinds of issues. And in fact, quite frankly, all over the world, if you mm. talk to somebody in one country versus another, a lot of the issues are, you know, at the root similar. Yeah. And um, so I came across a book uh, called The Investment Think Tank by Harold Evansky, who's a financial planner in the US. And he had this book. It was about investing, and he identified um, uh, some significant areas and questions that people think about. And he got a number of really thoughtful people to write articles. Uh-huh. And I thought that's kind of a good idea. In fact, I teach um, a course called the Management of Private Wealth at the University of Toronto uh-huh. in the MBA program, and I in my early days, about 10 or 11 years ago, I used that book or some articles from it as my textbook because it was some really good articles. So in my mind, I thought, oh, this Harold Levinsky book would be great if we could, it'd be great if we could do something like that for wealth management and Mm -hmm. for families. So it's been in my mind for a long time. I talked to the publisher probably four years ago and said, uh, you know, gave them a proposal, which they accepted and said would be great. And then of course never got around to it and uh-huh. got busy and had a couple of false starts and just never quite got there. More, more for busyness than any other reason. And then um, I um, resurrected the idea and found a terrific co-author named Keith Whitaker who's from Boston and he is an advisor to families Mm -hmm. and coincidentally had been thinking the same thing as me. Uh, He'd been actually keeping a list of all these questions that he was asked. Wow! So we chatted about it and we put our heads together and said uh, let's do this. So we we did. We basically started the process of uh, identifying these questions. Of course it was probably a couple of hundred when we started because there are many many questions. Mm. But some are duplicates and some are in the same zone and some we just ended up choosing. I think our original idea was to say the top 30 questions and mm. we just couldn't decide on 20 of them because yeah. they were so good. And
0: so we, we ended up with 50. Nice round number. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that was the that was the genesis of it. Fantastic. And then obviously you had to, to ask the contributors yeah. to, to do that. And there's some um, fantastic names that have um, assisted with their essays and articles yeah. for, for the book. Was that an easy process or was that something where you kind of had an email and said, right, um, uh, I'd like to know the answer to these questions. Did they pick? How did that work? Yeah, good question.
1: Um, So we we honed the list down to 50-ish questions. And then the first, and and both Keith and I are quite connected in the field. So Mm -hmm. I would say of the contributors to the book, we probably knew personally 85% of them. So, um, the, the job really was to go through the list, and, uh, and and quite frankly, there's also many, many more people who could easily have been included in the book, mm-hmm. and we just you know had to, had to choose, and we did ask a few people who had other priorities and couldn't do it. But um, yeah, we went through the process, and we um, identified which questions needed to be answered, and who we thought, first of all, would be the perfect person to answer that question. And... Then we went to them. We went and asked them, and I don't know what percent said yes, but ninety percent mm. said yes. And um, so it wasn't actually very difficult. Mm. I, I, you might have imagined it to be much more difficult. We gave them a little bit of flexibility on the wording of the question, or even in a couple of conversations, a person said, "You know what, I really love to answer is this question." Right. And we said, "Well, we haven't filled that one yet. Yeah, why don't you do that? We'll get somebody else to answer uh-huh. a particular question we asked you about." So that was great, and then there was probably, I'm guessing, you know, ten to twenty percent uh, that we um, I, I knew the kind of person I wanted, but I didn't know anybody who mm-hmm. personally who fit that category, or I wanted somebody really special. And I thought, you know, it would be great to get, for example, Howard Marks to write on risk. Yep. So I didn't know Howard, mm-hmm. so I cold called him. Okay. And um, he uh, he said he'd be happy to do it. Wow. Uh, Charlie Ellis on Passive management. You know, he's gone from being an active investor at Greenwich mm-hmm. you know, when he started that firm, and now is a very, very um, passionate passive investor. And so I thought a person like him would be very interesting. And I cold called Charlie and said, "Would you, um, would you do it?" And he said, "Yes." Yeah. So. I I think there's, you know, a good chunk of people in Mm. the book who, um, you know, I cold called and they agreed. And so I would say, honestly, it was, um, I say, I say I did. I mean, Keith did uh, half or more of them as well, but it was um, very, very fulfilling and positive and people were great. You know, you think about it as herding cats, Mm but they're really orderly cats and (laughs) very nice. And it was, I think I would have guessed it
0: would have been much more difficult than it actually was. Mm. And the the accompanying podcast, Mm -hmm. was that something you had in mind when you
1: started? No, No, I'll give a shout out to one of the guys that works with me, Scott Dickinson, and he's, you know, um, 30-ish, so sort of a little bit more in the zone of podcasts than (laughs) somebody of my uh, vintage. And um, he said, we should do podcasts with these people. And uh, I said, okay, well, make it happen. And he did. So it's it's a great idea. And um, it works beautifully for a a book like this, too, because it features these people. I mean, quite frankly, we could have written a lot of these chapters ourselves. Both of us are knowledgeable in a lot of these areas. Mm -hmm. But we thought, wouldn't it be great to get different voices? in the book and literally different voices on the podcast so we in our podcast interview um, uh, which is on the website wealthofwisdombook.com uh-huh. um, we, we have these interviews with these folks and it's perfect because you could read their article and what we do in the podcast is we delve deeper so we'll say you know it's interesting you said in the book this but uh-huh. what did you mean by that because couldn't the opposite be true and then yeah. they unpack it or uh-huh. we'll say you know we only gave them limited uh, number of words they could um, use, take up, and so we said, you know, if you could have added two more things, what would they have been? Yeah. And you know, what are, what's your own personal story? How did you come to this? Uh-huh. And what, what's the biggest surprise you found in your life working with families of wealth? You uh-huh. know, and so all great questions and great interesting answers, yeah. and so it's been like honestly a, a, a pleasure for us, Keith and me, to to do these. Mm. So, yeah, it's been a real positive and lots and lots of interest and in take up. Yeah.
0: And I, I love the concept. I mean, it's a great idea. Yeah, I guess we're preaching to the choir uh, here, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the, I did um, contemplate calling this the episode of, um, I'm really jealous, I wish I had this idea. <laughs> but it's not, it is um, about the, the book itself. So the, you mentioned that there were common questions. And you got them down to kind of fifty. Uh, w- w- how did you then go about organizing Because mm-hmm. you know the, the fifty questions is is still quite difficult to then organize once the responses have come back. Yeah, totally. Well, that was that was um, that was maybe the harder part of the of the
1: work is thinking about how to present, you know, many 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 ideas in a way that was. Manageable for people. So um, we ended up organizing them into sections, and I think I'll give Keith credit for this. I think he was the one that sort of took the first kick at the cat, as they say, and (laughs) did a great job at it. Um, So we have nine sections with sort of four to eight or nine chapters in it, and they are thinking through what matters most. And we decided to start with that one. That was very intentional. It was not. Random. It was kind of um, and and those are all the questions about, you know, are you wealthy? You mm-hmm. know? So what does wealth mean? Yeah. And what are the most important factors in living well? By Scotty McLennan, which is a fascinating one. That one is interesting because he uses literature. He's a Stanford professor. He's a uses literature, uh, like fictional fiction literature, as a uh, as a way to help families think about what matters most. He talks about Death of a Salesman, the Death of Ivan Ilyich. It's a lot of death, I guess, <laughs> and um, and uh, King Lear, and uses those. They're all interesting examples of family and somebody, you know, you know Ivan Ilyich, figuring out on his deathbed what's important, yeah. and trying to recover that in the few years he has left, mm-hmm. and, you know, and um, legacy and all that kind of thing. So that's all in thinking through what matters most. There's actually a great story in Chapter 1, which if we have time, I'll, I'll tell you. I really, yeah. really like it. Um, section 2 is planning thoughtfully, so that's... Mm-hmm. You know, everything from a financial plan, which, by the way, was almost one of the hardest people to find. Somebody really? who was very thoughtful on the planning portion. Very okay. interesting. It's surprising yeah. in some ways. You know, who I thought was was good. Um, How to have conversations about uh, prenuptial arrangements, uh, cottages and vacation homes, because those are often points of tension, yeah. mental incapacity and longevity, those kinds of questions. The third section was investing wisely, and that was, you know, active passive uh, goals based investing risk those kinds of things section four is raising the rising generation so that's all about you know um, money and children and you know how do you not create trust fund babies and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing Uh, which by the way i would say was one of the most um, typical questions if i had to pick one question Almost everybody worries about and thinks about is that one. Mm-hmm. How much money do I leave my kids, and when? Yeah. And how do I not ruin them? Mm. That's sort of the, the most iconic, classic question. Yeah. Section five is making shared decisions. That's like sort of governance and family communication, and you know, how do you uh, do? You have a family meeting and conflict. Section 6 is combining family and business, which of course, you know, all of your listeners who are thinking about family businesses know that it's it adds complication. You yeah. have, you know, it's wonderful, but yeah. it adds complication. <laughs> yeah, completely. And then this section 7 is giving well, which is philanthropy, philanthropy related issues and engaging family members and teaching generosity. Section 8 is seeking sound advice, so that's about great advisors, and mm. how do you find people you trust, and how do you avoid the next Bernie Madoff, mm-hmm. and how do you find a good trustee, and yeah. all those questions. And then the last one is uh, another thought, thoughtful one, which is facing the future. And so what are the issues that wealthy families are likely to face in in, in the future, and how do they prepare themselves mm. for it? So it it, it, they, it all fell into place quite naturally, Brilliant. and um, I think makes you know, makes a lot of sense, and, and is also a way for families to, because every family faces different issues at different times. So they may not be facing an investment issue right Mm -hmm. now. So they can skip that section. And they might go right to, we got to make decisions together, and we've never done that before. Mm -hmm. So maybe they'll just focus on that section. So it's it's very much um, sort of an a la carte kind of book. You don't have to sit down and read the whole thing from stem to stern. Mm -hmm. You can pick and choose the spots that are of interest, yeah,
0: and it's really well organized. Like you say, it's in those sections, so people can jump to it. But you've categorised in each of those sections what each chapter yeah. is yeah. then covering as well. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we haven't got time to go through every single of um, one of them because. you like me to read the whole book <laughs> yeah. line by line? Yeah, we'll, we'll all get the <laughs> audio book version. Right, right. <laughs> that would be great. Um, but but there are some interesting themes in there that I th- I think we should um, cover. You mentioned about the story from. Chapter One. Yeah, Um, if you want to sort of kick off with that, and then we'll. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting story. It's the chapter is
1: called "Are You Wealthy?" by Patricia Angus, who works with Families of Wealth, and she was. It's it's a great way to frame the book. I never actually thought about it when we uh, put the chapters in. There's a, there's bookends. There's Patricia Angus's article about "Are You Wealthy?" at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then there's a really thoughtful piece by uh, Christine Lagarde, the IMF Executive Director. And the, the last chapter, and it's about um, will we, how will we lift the small boats as well as the, the yeah. yachts? Yeah, two really, really thoughtful bookends, and all. in the middle is all about you know wealthy people and how do we you know do you know manage what we have. But the the two front and back, I thought were really interesting, and we didn't didn't plan it; it sort of happened a little yeah. bit. But in any event, the, Patricia tells this really interesting story in chapter one. About being at a wealth conference and it was all discussion by accountants and investment people and lawyers uh, attorneys uh, about how to get wealth from one generation to the next and avoid tax and do technical planning and she found herself Feeling less and less comfortable. She couldn't put her finger on why she's in that world She lives that but somehow it just was not sitting right with her Couldn't tell why and anyway, it was the conference was over and she headed uh, to the airport got in a taxi and fairly quickly into the ride, the taxi driver um, said to her, uh, do you see that building over there? And she said, yes, big tall building. And she, he said, my son said, Papa, do you think a man owns that building? And she sa- he said, I believe so. And he said, Papa, do you think that man is happy? And the cab driver said, I am in doubt. And the, ca- the driver said to his son, do you think I'm happy? And he said, yes, I do. The son said, yes, I do think you're happy. And he, it led to him telling his story that he had come from another country where he had been fairly financially successful, had to leave that country, came to North America where this took place, and um, became. Um, uh, drove a cab and put two kids through school, both with master's degrees, and has a lovely house and puts his head on the pillow, has a wife he loves and kids he speaks to, and he says, I am a wealthy man. And it just led to a conversation between Patricia and this taxi driver about what is wealth. Mm-hmm. And as she said in her chapter, you know, it wasn't about you know the poor or happier than the wealthy or any of that kind of stuff. It was about what is wealth. And I thought we thought it was a great way to frame the the discussion at the very beginning of the book to to, you know, um, wealth if you ask the, the average person about you know what is wealth, most people will think it's money. But yeah. when you really, really think about it deep down, you know who is happy mm-hmm. and what 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 brings satisfaction and yes money can be extremely helpful and mm-hmm. can be very positive and having it is better than not having it all those yeah. things but but when you have it what are the core things that that mm-hmm. are significant that makes people and families wealthy and yeah. i just thought it was a really great
0: way to sort of it kick is. off the whole discussion Absolutely. and uh, the, i mean m- my role is a I'm a financial planner and I'm working with Family businesses, so there's a lot of um, synergy in terms of what you're covering in the book to, right. to my uh, day job, and one of the things that we find people's relationship with money is very interesting because if it's if as you say you're just striving for more and more dollars in, in your case pounds as it is over here. Um, one of the um, questions I was going to ask later on, but actually it, it feels right to ask now, is uh, are there questions that families? don't ask as well as the top 50 that they do. There are questions that they don't ask. And one of them is... Secret ones. Yeah. How much <laughs> is enough? Right. <clears throat> and, and if you're constantly striving for more and more and more wealth because you're in search of this happiness right. or well-being, I know in, there, there's some stuff in there on, on well-being as well, um, you can be blinded by that. And there's a story in, in um, one of the, the chapters that... It's about a guy who is motivated by building wealth. And he feels as if he's not building wealth, then he's going backwards. And that's different. He understands his motivation there. He understands the purpose it's the of The challenge almost. Exactly. It's the game. The game. Yeah. Yeah. He's not building it for the sake of getting to X number of right. dollars and then I'm, I've yeah. made it. I'm happy now. Because you could get to, I don't know, $10 million, go and spend 50 bucks on a... I'm going to and be under the $10 million thing. Oh, I've not made it again now. Yeah. And it, it's, um, I think that's a, like you say, a really interesting way to frame the book as wealth is not just limited to the dollars that are attributed to your um, family name or, or your um, purpose. It is far beyond that. And, yeah, and absolutely. So the, the money can then become an enabler to fulfill their um, desires and hopes and dreams yeah. and Yes, and we'll talk about it this later. But it can
1: also turn negative, and it become it can become you know what you hoped was going to be this this um, something to ful- fulfill and uh, and uh, what was the word you used to, to um, you know help help develop your life? Yeah, it can become this this uh, negative thing that either consumes or controls or is a cause of of tension mm. and. Um, uh, anyway, I just had an interesting taxi ride in London yesterday, and day before yesterday, and the taxi driver told me that he has gone through that himself. He used to be a uh, trader and had oh, yeah. a whole lot of money and significant cars. I won't identify anymore because I don't want to tell his story without his permission, huh. but, but lost it and said to me that he is, he is at the stage in his life where he is happy that he went through that now mm. because he knows what is significant for him. It's hard to believe that sometimes, you know, but but it's I, it sure sure sound genuine sounded genuine to me. So mm. yeah, anyway, the point is that everybody who's listening to this really in their heart, you know, no, and their head probably knows that money is not the answer. Yeah. It's a tool.
0: Mm. Yep, completely. Um, so as I say, we can't unfortunately cover every um, chapter, but. A couple of them that really kind of stuck out for me were the um, uh, planning thoughtfully um, and raising the rising generation. The planning thoughtfully one, obviously, again, there's synergies with my um, day job um, because we do um, financial planning for family-owned businesses. Um, And the story that came, I think, was in that chapter the, the um, um, chap who motivated by building well. Um, and there was a lot of that that spoke to me because it is um, it is what I do. And it's a very interesting um, way of looking at it as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, um,
1: plan, uh, planning is very interesting. It, it is funny. I think I said that it's, it's, uh, it's funny that it was difficult to find somebody to write on planning. Mm-hmm. There's lots of people who could write on family dynamics, lots of people to write on investments, lots of people to write on philanthropy, but but planning is this funny, um, you know, I often think of it as the mortar. You know, there's bricks, yep. which might be the investments or the the will or, or the tax plan, but the mortar is all the stuff that glues it together. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's sort of the planning side. And it's very interesting. It was difficult to find somebody to yeah. write on that. So um You know, I guess a couple of thoughts on that from the book. Uh, it's always surprising to me that people um, head out um, in, in their proverbial car for a drive with no destination. Mm-hmm. Um, but one you know people uh, I find people don't really know what their goals are, are and certainly have not quantified them. So my favorite cocktail party question is, what rate of return do you need on your investments to meet all your objectives? Mm-hmm. And the answer of the number of people who knows uh, who, the number of people that know the answer to that question is about zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they either haven't calculated their goals, or if they have, they certainly haven't quantified them. Yeah. The, the answer you often get is something like you know, well, seven or eight percent. What they're talking about is what they think they can get. Yeah. And that may even be a, another question yep. for <laughs> another day, but but um, they often don't know. So. My view, and, and what you see in the um, in the chapter on planning, the chapters or the section on planning, is a little bit of planning can really improve success. And mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm again preaching to the choir here because uh, uh, you, you know that to be true. The thing that I have learned about planning um, over the years is when you think about goals, and it's funny because I work with. The wealthy; these are folks with between ten and ten to multi-hundred million uh-huh. dollars. And um, when you think about a family like that, families have balance sheets, like a company has a balance sheet. Uh-huh. On one side, there's assets, and the other side, there's liabilities. And hopefully, the assets are more than the liabilities. Yep. And then you've got something called net worth or discretionary capital. People usually know what the assets are; they're either you know current assets, investments, houses, you know boats and planes. Um, or future ones like inheritances, expected inheritances or potential sale of a company. But what are liabilities for wealthy families? Mm. It's a really good question because most of them don't have debt except lines of credit or operating lines in the business, but that's really just a financing or convenience vehicle. So what, what are liabilities on the balance sheet? Well, they're self-imposed. Mm-hmm. So for example, we spend half a million dollars or pounds a year. So that's a liability that has to be funded, either yeah. by income uh-huh. or by assets in some way.
0: Yeah,
1: I do want to leave money to your kids. Yes, I'd like to leave money to my kids. Okay, that needs to be funded in some mm-hmm. way. And but different goals have different kinds of um, they're, 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 different liabilities have different um, characters. So, for example, think about airline travel. You know, if you are um, if you think about three goals of airline travel, uh, safety. Um, on time arrival and comfort. Mm-hmm. Those three things have different priorities, I would say to most people. Yeah. you know on the on the first goal of safety, you'd want like a ninety nine point nine <laughs> percent confidence that it's going to be safe. yeah, and maybe on on time arrival, it's really important for connections, so maybe you want eighty percent. You know, uh, and, and comfort, it'd be great, but if you don't have it, it's not the end of the world. Yep. And that's true of a lot of goals in families, too. Mm-hmm. Some of them are really, really important. They're really near term. They have to be funded differently mm-hmm. than a goal that's optional and maybe 40 years out. So all of that stuff is just really um, our experience is families don't think about that. Yeah. They don't think about it in those terms. And I think that's helped along by many advisors who focus on the asset side of the balance sheet only, mm-hmm. which is what can you get? Which is definitely a relevant question, but it's not the first question. The first question is, "What do you need?" Yes. So, you know. um, So anyway, that's a big, big piece of planning, Mm. and um, and another piece. I'll just pick one other example in planning that I think is really relevant and current, and that and that comes out in the book too. There's a a really interesting chapter about longevity by Patricia Anino, who is a lawyer who um, from Boston who specializes in this area. And, you know, we're all getting older. Most of us know somebody who's one year old, and most of us, many of us, know somebody who's 100 years old. Yeah. Well, that's pretty rare. That's never happened before. You know, so, so what does that entail? Well, the obvious one is mental incapacity. People who are in positions of authority and decision-making who can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those things aren't that clear. Yeah. You know, when do you take away signing authority? When, when do you take away the car keys? You know, and... So th- those are really really tricky issues in families, and definitely for advisors. When are you taking advice from one family member and, yeah. and other family members say you shouldn't be doing that? Very very tricky. So how do you build that into your planning? And how can even the person, the, the patriarch or matriarch, take the lead in some of that? Mm. You know, because we all know something's going to happen to all of us at some point. Yep, absolutely. So that's that's one. But the other un, the other less less thought of part of longevity is not. Um, hampered competence, but sustained competence. Yes. So the poster child for that is Queen Elizabeth mm-hmm. uh, who is old and competent Yeah. and competent, not incompetent and, and then the problem then is you have a Prince Charles syndrome, mm-hmm. somebody who's been expecting to run the family business for a long time yeah. Guess ahead. what? He may not yeah, absolutely. So um, and there's younger folks nipping at his heels saying well, I'm kind of ready to run the family mm-hmm. business so how do families think about and plan for that across generations so there's so many issues you know and if you look at the book there's prenuptial agreements and there's family properties and so many issues and and there's just so many ideas for families to think about and plan for my my concluding point on that probably is is that it's not just a technical you know tax and estate issue it's it's thinking about the principles what are yeah. the principles in the family that you want to that you decide that are good for you and important for you mm-hmm. and you start with those and there's some great great examples and ideas in the book
0: on planning related mm. issues yeah and as I say it's something that um, resonated very much with me and in my experience um, <clears throat> a lot of the reason obviously I work with people who do the planning but they often come to me probably a little bit too late mm. or, or ideally a little bit too late um, and their fear or their um, Misplaced fear often is that the outcome of the planning is gonna be bad news. Hmm. I haven't got enough or Hmm. I can't do what I want to do and therefore it's better not to know Hmm. rather (laughs) than actually know. But again, I would say probably nine times out of ten, people are in a far more positive position than they anticipate. And you touched on a really valid point there of um, people are living far more vital lives. So they're not just living longer, they're living more active lives. And that has a cost to it, and it has a cost to it in terms of missed opportunity if you don't embrace that, because you don't want to get to 85, 95 and look back and go, I wish I could have done that. It's far better to find out beforehand that you can, and then have somebody to try and um, push you down that route, um, not literally, but <laughs> to, <laughs> to encourage you that that actually it's within your um, grasp, it's, it's entirely possible that you can do that. But... But it's, it, there's a reluctance for people to seek that advice because they think it's going to be bad news. And in, again, in my experience, that's irrespective of the level of wealth because they have a level of wealth that then has a lifestyle that comes along with it that is not always directly proportionate to the, the level of wealth. There are some people who live to kind of hand-to-mouth hand to on it. Um, but even with significant wealth, they have significant outgoings, and their fear is, I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do because I can just about do what I'm doing now. Is that something you've come across as well?
1: Yes. Um, you know, I guess it's like not going to the doctor because you don't want bad news. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is true. In, in our case, uh, none of our clients is saving for retirement. You know, because our clients are, you know, have have um, more money than typically have more money than they need. Mm-hmm. They it's really so often sorting out what where it's going to go. But for sure, wealthy people can spend all their money. Mm. That is possible. One of our very first clients uh, when we started 16 years ago. Um, was fifty four ish at the time and had sold a business and had a you know about twenty five million dollars and we uh, did the work and said if you keep spending at the rate you're spending you'll be out of money by age seventy five right so help and then helped him carve a big chunk of money out of his spending um, for which he was grateful mm. because who does the calculation yeah. You know, um, you know, people haven't done. that. It's back to my cocktail party question: mm-hmm. you know, What rate of return on your investments? Well, the answer for him is probably fifteen yeah. percent to to meet his goals. Or you have other options, which is you can cut back spending. Now that's less fun, mm. but it's it's kind of like the on time arrival and the uh, um, or or possibly even the, the the safe arrival. Yeah. How important is that? Yeah. Well pretty important mm. and so he was uh, for sure he was much happier to find out quote the bad news at 54 versus the terrible news at 75 yeah so it he it, and the it
0: was get rejected
1: or right whatever. exactly and yeah. so um it's it, it people are often people who don't have wealth are often shocked that somebody with 25 million can go through it but mm. you absolutely can yeah and uh, we know, you know, think of lottery winners. Think mm. of the lottery. That's, isn't that the
0: classic example yep. that everybody has heard about?
1: Yeah. That how could you possibly go through all that? Well, mm. it's possible.
0: Yeah. Well, I was on the panel here in the UK for lottery winners, for, mm. for financial advisors to give advice to, to lottery winners. Hmm. And again, some of the things you would come across in that experience were eye-opening. Oh, I bet. bet. sit there. So we, because we were on the panel, <laughs> it, we, it was all anonymized. So we didn't know any of their names. If they wanted to give us names, they could. But we'd go in and they'd say, um, one example is a, a chap in his 30s had won, say, a million quid, and he ran through everything that he'd done. So the first thing was I quit my job straight away as soon as I found out um, I bought this, I paid off this, I'm going to give holidays to this, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to do this. So I was mentally working out in my head, <laughs> spending the money that he'd already spent and worked out that actually he'd spent it all in his mind already, and had quit his job (laughs) in the anticipation that that's it. I've I've kind of made it. And it was, again, we saw two types of attitudes towards um, significant wealth. Some people felt like they couldn't touch it. They had a real problem spending capital. If it's income, they can spend it. That's fine. If it's capital, it's a big struggle around spending it. Very interesting. And other people who just can't wait to get rid of it because they don't feel entitled to it. Yeah. They don't feel as if they deserve that, even though they play the lottery to win. Yeah. If they then win it, they're like, "Oh, yeah, this shouldn't be for me," and they they do as much as they can to yeah, um, to get rid of it as well. Which again uh, is perhaps not the most effective way to to manage
1: that. Um, <laughs> but there's money. Cer- certainly money has a character and a psychology separate from the actual spending value of it. It it, it, it connects with our psyche in yep. many many different ways, and many of which you've just mentioned. Yeah, fantastic.
0: And that brings us on really to the the other um, chapter in the book. Oh, uh, the, we're going to talk about which is raising the uh, rising generation yeah and as you can there can be positives and and negatives to it i guess um one of the things we tend to see on um rising generation coming into significant wealth is trust fund babies is um the fact that it can lead to things like depression it can lead to in some cases, suicide, and there's a there's a, a darker side to that as well, and that's covered by um, this um, chat or section. It's not chat because yeah. The chapters within the section um, cover it. Um, and as you said in the the outset, there is a it is very common to say, "How do I um, sort of raise my children with this around them?" Um, there's a fantastic phrase in the book um, where it says how much should I um, pass to my children now? And the answer is how much they're prepared to Mm -hmm. receive, which I think is a really Mm -hmm. um, interesting way of looking at it. Um, But it is prevalent, isn't it? It's something that is very, very, very common. There's um,
1: in the uh, foreword by Dirk Jungi, who is the chairman of Pitcairn, a a U.S. family office. um, He tells a great story too, but, but his point is that that um, wealth is an amplifier of all things, good and bad. Mm. So it gives unrivaled opportunities to travel, get education, have experiences for families to be together even if they're far away. Many, many, many opportunities. Start businesses, create employment. But it's an amplifier of the bad, too. Mm. And um, that's what the, the chapters in the book really help families think about, is how do you walk that Line of all, all the things we just talked about to, to make sure that it's 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 helping fulfill people but not uh, not dragging them down. Mm. Um, he talks about and, and and you know what do how do families um, deal with that? Uh, he, he uses the example. He, he's from a wealthy family and they had a, a home in the Catskill Mountains, a second home in the Catskill Mountains, and. His father uh, was very intentional about helping teach him values, and um, so one of the things he made him do is start a garden. His father had grown up farming in some way, and wow. so he got Dirk to start this garden. Fantastic. And he found it got a plot of land, and he hoed and dug, and it was it was just full of. Stones mm-hmm. and anyway, he dubbed the farm Rock Acres, okay, because it was just so difficult. And he and he planted it, and while his friends were off riding their bikes to the store and buying, you know, popsicles and sweets, he was tilling and digging and and. But at the end of the season, he was able to harvest and feel the fulfillment, and sold some of it for uh, for money and. Brought some to family and friends, and he's got a. He. I'll just read a sentence from the book. He says, um, "I get frustrated when I pictured my friends buying popsicles and candy from the market on their way to the pool while I pulled out weeds." But come August, as I began to see considerable return on the time I'd put into Rock Acres, I started to appreciate my summer's worth of hard work. I learned more that summer than I thought possible, and many of the lessons wouldn't be fully apparent to me until decades later when I had children of my own, and my perspectives on family changed. My father put me on a path toward a life fueled by the values that drove his success and have sustained our family for generations. So that's just really a beautiful story of a parent being intentional. But one of the other chapters in the book, um, by Ellen Perry, who's a really thoughtful person on values, says, you know, there's values that should be taught, for sure, but most values are caught, Mm -hmm. not taught. Mm -hmm. In other words, you can teach your kids all you want, but if you are doing something opposite, they're going to see that. Yes. So um, she's got lots and lots of suggestions in the book about how to think about it. But uh, you know if you want to teach whatever it is frugality, humility, others' orientation, you know how do you behave at sports matches? Mm-hmm. How do you behave at red lights? How do you behave when you're in a lineup? you know, and you're with your kids. What yeah. do your kids see? So sometimes it's, you know, deciding what values you want to have and what's coming through to your kids. And and somebody said in, in her chapter, she quotes somebody saying, if I followed you around for three, we- three weeks, I could tell you what your top values are, no problem. Wow. Okay. So um, just, uh, I think that's a really good thought. And um and the other thing that I would mention, I think it's in, an article, in a chapter by Jill Shipley about not raising trust fund babies. Uh-huh. And she's got a bunch of ideas in there, but one of them that really resonates with me um, is uh, for parents is don't parent with your wallet.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And that's, you know, for average families, often the case is, well, we can't afford that. But with wealthy families, mm-hmm. you can always afford it or usually afford it. So, why don't you just buy it? Well, because you think somehow it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. So, so um, and of course, wealthy families often are busy families. And so, I always say, I, mean, I don't know, maybe I'm quoting somebody else and don't know it, but time and money can both solve problems, mm-hmm. but money can solve them too quickly. Yeah. And so, what children miss in the whole process, if money is used, money or power, are used to um, you know move things forward, and people do it out of parents do it out of love. Mm. They also do it out of busyness, and this will solve the, the problem quickly. Yeah. But uh, it's um, uh, what what kids miss is natural consequences. Mm. So if you send your you know child to your son or their daughter to university, and they've got a beer budget and um, you know, spending money, and they they go through it. In the first 15 days of the month, <laughs> and they call up and say, "Oh, I'm out of money," and you top it back up. What have they learned? Mm. They've learned there's no budget. Yep. They've learned that there's no um, delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. They don't know how anything about saving. They know that mom that that mom and dad say this, but they don't really mean it. All sorts mm. of lessons. Back to and the issue. There's of, always more, the, and there's always more. Mm. So, what does that? And it's so funny because most, m- many of us in life think about who, who we are and what our character is and our character was, was, was forged in the furnace of difficulty of yeah. some sort. And so in our love and desire to help our children, we take those difficult things away from it. It's hard to watch. Yeah. it's hard to watch your poor child not have beer for two weeks. Uh-huh. It's not that hard really. but some things are hard mm. and you know when they get um, go through difficulty but, but parents who have the means, have the added responsibility to say no when they don't have to say no, but mm. because it's the right thing. Very difficult. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm a parent and I've been through it personally, like, you know, you probably have, and many, most people have. Uh, so it's, it's not to say it's easy in the least, mm. but it's important. Yeah. So how do we, you know, work together and support each other and what role can advisors play and mm-hmm. so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. And, uh, there's a mention again, I, I can't remember within whose chapter it is. Um, about the importance of self-awareness as well in in, in both the rising generation and the, the senior generation or the, the generation that is seen to hold the wealth. Um, and I think that's often overlooked as well because time is – I mean, the world seems to move faster and faster and faster. So the time for reflection and actually becoming more self-aware and, and understanding how we are in our relationships with certain things like money and right. everything around us is – there seems to be less opportunity to do that. And I think it's becoming more important that that's there. So it's kind of, they're working against each other. It's true. And in in the chapter um,
1: uh, by Thayer Willis on uh, what you want your legacy to be, she says, if you're brave, ask your heirs, ask your children what they think the legacy is that you are leaving. Wow. Yeah. And do you like it? Mm. And if you don't, do you want to change it and change yeah. your priorities? So you have to be brave for that mm. kind of stuff. But I think it's uh, an interesting Absolutely. exercise.
0: Someone sure. mentioned something similar: is what do you want people to be whispering about you at your funeral? Yeah, I can't that, remember who that was. That's often was.
1: called, um,
0: you know, a resume, uh, character
1: values, and and um, eulogy mm-hmm. values. You yeah. know, you can one's for getting a job, and the other is like, what, what, how do you want to be remembered? Mm. And that's. Um, Lots of great stuff yeah. on the book on in the book on that as well. Yeah,
0: Agree. There's also um, a, a particular chapter that talks about um, passing wealth to um, the rising generation with a warm hand rather than a cold hand. Yes, just was a fantastic mm-hmm. um, concept as well. So it's basically saying do it while you're alive and can see the benefit of it. Do it carefully, but while you're alive and see the benefit, rather than on death where it can just be yep. straight across. I yep. think that's a really interesting. Yeah, there's concept uh, as well. there's definitely pros and cons of that and
1: age is critical and so on and so forth, mm. but, uh, but yeah, well, warm hand is beautiful.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. Fantastic. Um, I know you're not allowed to have favorites. <laughs> um, I'm often asked what my favorite podcast episodes right. are. like. They're all my children. I right. love them all equally. Yes. Um, but were there any, any, you got back and went, this is exactly why I wrote this book. It, 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 I mean, you mentioned about your struggle to, to find, um, a family office, 15, 16 years ago, and I imagine there are also questions that you would have wanted to have had answered, or would have benefited from having answered at a previous stage. So, was there anything that came and you went? You don't have to name them if you don't mm-hmm. want to, mm-hmm. uh, but that just absolutely resonated with why you. Didn't. Gosh, yeah, there are so there are there are many
1: in the book for sure. Um, you know, it is interesting. I, I will pick one just for interest' sake, not because it's the. Um, you know, it's the necessarily the best one, but it's 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 a good example of when I read it, I thought, well, that's why I've written the book. So mm-hmm. that's the way you worded it, and it's Ellen Perry's chapter on values. I think it's chapter four, and um, you know, all of these chapters we've we've consciously made them short. They're like five six pages, mm-hmm. so it's not it's not a you know this is not a university paper or a full textbook, you know. Ellen and all these people have written many, many more things, and we've listed all of them in the book, so you can go in more depth. But you know, in five, she has five suggestions for families who are thinking about passing values on to the next mm-hmm. generation. I, I literally could have picked in any one in in the um, in the book, uh, but hers. I remember hearing Ellen speak one time at a Family Firm Institute event, which is a, a group of advisors to families that get together and share practices, good practices. And I heard her speak and it was just very, very straightforward. And I thought this would be helpful to so many people. And that was one of the when I, I, me- I remember he- hearing that thinking, how do we take the stuff that Ellen and all these other 50 people do and bring it to people in a way that's like all in one place. Mm-hmm. And that was maybe even the spark for this book. It's possible. I can't remember exactly, but something like that was. And, um, you know, and there's just lots of folks in this book that have, you know, taken very complicated issues and brought some common sense and Mm -hmm. some, some, um, you know, um, what what am I looking for? Sort of clear, thoughtful, dispassionate advice. And a lot of them have been through it themselves. So Mm -hmm. they're sharing either their own experience or all the other families they've worked with. They've taken all this, information and ideas and, and brought it down and said, look, here's five things that'd be really helpful. Mm. My view is when I saw that article and just many, many others or chapter, it's just I thought, wow, this is gonna be really, really helpful mm. for people.
0: Yeah.
1: The if I can talk about favorites, one one of my favorite parts of the book is at the end of every chapter, we have questions for further reflection. Yes, I was gonna mention. Okay. That. And and that's one of my favorite parts of the yeah. book. Because I'm a big question asker, and I think um, I think that's maybe even where the book came from. I'm always asking why and where does this come from, and what makes this so, and what else should we know? And and if I'm you know if I have lunch with somebody, it's pretty rare they leave knowing more about me than I know about them. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, I'm a curious right. person. But and and so I think questions are a really great way to draw out conversation. Mm-hmm. So in a family, instead of Somebody, you know, asking a question, and Dad says the answer is ten, or we should do this, which is often happens. The better question will be, well, that's that's a good question. What if we thought of it this way? Mm. How would you answer that question? Yeah. You know, if if things move forward, uh, if we fast forward ten years, what would you say? That ends up getting much more creative responses, and and quite frankly, the answer is probably going to be found in those questions rather than you know somebody's first response yeah so i think those questions for further reflection are just gold for families oh, so read the family reads maybe everybody in the family reads a particular chapter and then there's three questions and maybe around the dinner table or sitting in the the you know living room people you know we, we ask each other those questions mm. and i think it just and i think advisors can use them with families too it's great yeah. ways to get you know at the because the real answer is usually not the one on the very top of the surface. You've got to dig down a little bit.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And not because anybody's hiding it. People don't really know themselves until mm. you really start to talk about it and think about it. Yeah. So
0: but We're also taught as well to to answer quickly. We're not really taught to be thoughtful about what the response might be. Or actually go, I'm going to take that away and think about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, we, we probably get it a lot in our day jobs as well. What's the answer? Yeah then well, you're under pressure to think, oh, well, I've got to come up with an answer, but actually have yeah, been thoughtful about it. And what I found with the reflective questions at well, at the, the end of each chapter, is it it moves it on beyond that chapter as well, because you can take that, and as you say, then take that and go, well, okay, that's um, made me think in a certain way. These questions are going to make me think more about particular aspects of that. And it, it develops it further from there, but with your own thoughts on that subject, rather than um, the author of the chapter mm-hmm. or, or in the other book. So it's, it's again exactly. a fantastic. Um, it, concept.
1: I was just going to add that um, when I was first looking into the idea of what became a family office, I uh, was talking. My father had said to me, "You know, we should sort out our affairs before I die versus after. So let's mm-hmm. let's um, let's uh, sort this out." And I was running a big corporate business, and so I went to his accountant, sort of the logical person, mm. and I said. Told him the story. We we're trying to think about sort of the future, and he said, "Well, you can do an estate freeze, which is a planning technique, um, or you can do insurance by by insurance." The meeting was about five minutes long. Mm-hmm. He said, "Put the." Put, I came to him with my little bundle of of uh, wishes or wonderings, and he immediately gave me two sol- solutions and sent me on my way, and uh, with the name of a lawyer to go and talk to. And And, you know, of course, over two years, I never really, you know, I got a quote on insurance, and I talked to the lawyer, didn't really like that particular guy, and nothing really happened. And I was thinking, well, maybe there's other solutions, or maybe am I asking the right questions? Mm. He easily could have said, hmm, tell me more. Yeah. What were you thinking? (laughs) How can I help? Yeah. You know, and he's a good guy. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a great guy. But, but what I needed at that time was not a solution. At some point, you need a solution. Yeah. At that point, I was I needed help thinking about, well, well am I thinking the right way about this? Or mm-hmm. and you've had much much more experience than I've had. You know, Mister Smith. Um, how can you help? Mm-hmm. You know, so I've I've definitely put that into we put that into practice in our in our business in our yeah. lives. Often, you know, we 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 wait an uncomfortable. Period of time for the pers- for the client to respond because they're thinking, mm-hmm. and if we jump to conclusion yeah. or even f- or even fill the silence, that thought that was just about to come out maybe never does, yeah, and it maybe it was g- going to be the one that was going to help you know break a log jam for mm.
0: for them or for us. Yeah, one of the best bits of advice I've ever received is to be more comfortable with silence than the person you are speaking with because silence is so powerful. It is thinking time it's not I may ask you a question and you are thinking about it and my reaction is okay doesn't know the answer that's a bad question okay how can I ask a better question maybe I answer the question in my next question and it just let it sit let it think it, it it's a great bit of advice that I've um, received there so I agree with that completely um, in terms of the the book and the podcast. Um, series that they complement each other. It, uh, as I say, I'm jealous of the concept. I think it's a great idea. Um, what are you hoping that family businesses will will take away from it? I know we've covered some of the kind of specific um, uh, areas in there, but but in terms of your I aims, mean, if, if you received an email from somebody who's gone through it and they've gone, this is the impact it's had. What well, what is it that you're hoping for from that? Hmm, that's a, that's sort of a different way to ask the question. I like that. What would I hope somebody
1: would say? Um, I well, I I mean, obviously, I would hope that it would have had a, um, a significant impact for them. Would have broken some kind of log jam, you know. Um, I just had a client uh, the other day, um, you know, express his high degree of satisfaction with us, and I, I got him to sort of unpack like, well, what what were the things that made that so and. You know, one of the things it was a number, but one of them was was um, that we had broken a logjam for him. It was a a series of things that he he had, because of multiple advisors and old structures and busyness and all that kind of stuff. He just hadn't been able to break through, and we had helped him do that in some way. And so my wish is that a book like this would, because of the questions, because of the um, the thoughtful. Um, Chapters and responses to the questions that our contributing authors have written because of um, it leading to a conversation they might not have had with another family member, with a business partner, um, you know, or giving the book to all of your family members and say, why don't we work through this and Mm -hmm. pick one chapter a week over the next 10 weeks? I don't know, I'm making this up. and then it had some, there was some kind of breakthrough. I would love to hear mm. stories of that. Um, so far, you know, the book's only been out about a month. Mm-hmm. And so, so far the feedback has been great about um, people enjoying it. But, you know, it's too new to to have heard those stories yet. Mm. But uh, but yes, I'd really love to see that. And And, you know, how would that happen? I think... You know, I think some people will come to it through the podcasts and listen to somebody and go, "Oh, I should delve into the book." Mm-hmm. And some will come from the book, um, and some will come from somebody copying a chapter and sending it to somebody, saying, "You should read this. Mm-hmm. This might help you." You know, maybe it's an advisor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's another family member. So, I don't know. It's kind of a long-winded answer, but uh, you know, I'd love this to have positive impact mm-hmm. in the lives of. Families and their businesses
0: and yeah. their enterprises. Fantastic. Well, I can certainly recommend it. It's uh, it's a great format. It's very well structured, and as I said, the, the reflective questions in there enhance it, and obviously the podcast series as well. So,
1: and, and similar to that, we at the end of each chapter we also list um, recommended reading. Mm. So, if you want to delve deeper into a particular subject area, family yeah. meetings or impact investing or whatever it happens to be, we've got other. There's you know there's lots of material out yeah. there, but it's often hard to find. Yeah. And, So we've listed a a number of those things in each chapter as well.
0: Fantastic. So we'll um, close off as we normally do. We have two, um, I don't have two quick-fire answers, but they are uh, common questions we ask at the end of each show, which is, if you had one tip you could pass on to family businesses, what would it be? That's a great question. Um,
1: Difficult, there's many. I think I would probably say I would invest as much time, effort, money in the planning and communication and preparation of the next generation as you do invest in managing your business. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's even a bit too extreme. That's probably not possible. It's probably about 100 zero right now or 95 five. Maybe just shift it to 80, 20 even Mm -hmm. and you'll get tons of value. Spend a little bit of time talking to the rest of your family about about uh, you know where you want to go as a family, and anyway, it's and that's and that's hard for particularly it's hard for business owners. Yes, there's a great article by the way I want to recommend called um, "When You've Made Enough Money to Cause Family Tension." It's a Harvard Business Review right. article, and it basically says uh, entrepreneurs have two acts in their life. Act one is you are the builder, entrepreneur, driver, focus, focus, focus. You pretty much do it yourself. But in act two you're asked to share and to include your family members and think about the future. You're not built for that. Mm. You didn't do that for the first bunch of your life. So it's hard for entrepreneurs to do that, but it's worth it. Uh And if you can find a way to include and think about these other kind of, you know, I'll call them softer issues. And the book has lots on that. So if you're not quite sure where to start, I'd leaf through it and see what things resonate. Mm -hmm. And if you can't think of an idea, call me and
0: I'll give you one. Fantastic. <laughs> which actually brings us on to our last question, which is how can our audience find out more about you? Right. So um, I assume you'll put links
1: up on okay. the uh, yep. the site, but uh, the firm is called Northwood Family Office. It's in Toronto, Canada. And um, there we have a website with, by the way, all sorts of interesting tools uh, and examples of articles and I think I've been a, a collector and curator of interesting articles that have been on our website for fifteen years. Wow. So this maybe maybe that's even where the idea for the book came yeah. from. But um, my email address is TM as in Tom McCullough at northwoodfamilyoffice.com. The website is similar and um, the,
0: the book website is wealthofwisdombook.com mm-hmm. so I think that's most of the material you'd need yeah fantastic and we will link all of that up in the show notes so people can, uh, can find out more about you Great. Um, but um, lastly congratulations on the um, book it's fantastic mm-hmm. and obviously the, the accompanying podcast um, series as well thank you for your time today and uh, good luck with the launch later thanks so much appreciate it that's it for this week we hope you enjoyed the show If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fambizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.